Thanks for coming today. Crazy morning around here, as always. Before we get started today, I want to give you a opportunity to kind of get some perspective on your life. Um, my wife and I sold our house. Um, yes. We, have, we haven't actually closed yet, but we started moving out, and uh, we're closing later this month, and I'm fixing the house we're moving into and moving, in, or moving out of the other house, and every muscle is sore, the little I have, and um, it, is, it is crazy. We got into installing new flooring in the place we're going to stay for a while, and um, I thought, well, I'll just rip up the old carpet. As soon as I ripped up the old carpet, I thought, well, there's some bad some bad subfloor. So I pulled up some old subfloor, and as I started pulling it up, all the joists were rotten. Yep. So the last two weeks, I've been replacing joists, subfloor, and laminate, and uh, crawling around on the floor, thanking God that I didn't have the same job Andy Wade had for 50 years. I don't know. That, that man is a different kind of human. I don't know how he did that as long as he did, but Really glad you're here today, and I'm glad to be standing up here instead of laying on a floor somewhere. Um, this is what I was born to do, and I'm really glad to get a chance to do it today. So if I'm not careful, I will miss out um, on what God wants to say to you and to me today because my life's too noisy, um, and you'll miss out on hearing it. So if you're kicking the tires on God, trying to decide if he's real, you're in the right place. If you're listening online and you're not sure about the whole God thing, you're still in the right place, believe it or not. Um, what we believe is that we just keep digging and wherever, what God wants from you is to be closer to you than you, God wants to be closer to you than you are right now. And so if you're at A, he wants to take you to B. If you're at Z, uh, he's got a whole new alphabet for you. So um, so wherever you're at, God wants to just take you a little bit closer today. And even if that's not even believing, um, today's a good opportunity for you to just kick the tires a little bit. But if you don't relax your life, take a deep breath. That really does work, doesn't it? Taking a deep breath for some reason. But it's a physical deep breath and it's a spiritual deep breath and all of those things together. Good opportunity to do that today um, as we get started. I love this series. Um, I have a ton of questions. You know that phase you go through as a kid where you ask questions all the time? Yeah, but what? Yeah, but what? Yeah, but what? I never grew out of that phase. I still, I just ask questions of everything. Um, and this series um, is about questions and hopefully a few answers. So before we get started, we're just going to have that moment of quiet. If you're listening online and you're driving, don't close your eyes, but be quiet. Um, find an opportunity to just say, God, would you say something to me um, today? And then I'll give us a time to be quiet, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll get going. God, thanks for loving us right where we are. Anybody who has walked in today feeling far from you, for one reason or the other, God, would you give them confidence? Would you give them a new reassurance that wherever they are, you accept them? You love them too much to keep them that way? So would you move us to more peace, more hope, more joy today. To lead us to the right perspective on our life so we can put first things first. 
God, as we ask these questions today, um, I just pray that you would give us a new way to think about you. For many of us, the old way hasn't worked and isn't reflective of who you are. So would you give us a new way to think about you today? And we'll ask, and we'll keep our minds open, and we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. So this series um, is called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. Um, And part of the reason I started this series is because of a growing epidemic among friends of mine who are Christians or who are Jesus followers. And I use those those two terms differently because there are some people who consider themselves Christians but don't follow Jesus. You know what those are. Those are the people that come to church and make church what they follow. Um, They come to church on Sundays and they think that's what God wants of them and they consider themselves Christians because their parents were Christians and their grandparents were Christians and it's almost like a cultural thing more than it is an actual faith thing. They call themselves Christians and then there's another group of people that are Jesus followers and Jesus followers are often started as Christians who decided that I don't want to be religious, I want to actually live the way this guy talked about living. What's interesting is I've got a lot of friends right now who are at different stages in their belief about God, but who are following Jesus. Pretty amazing. And this is a new development in my life with friends. I've got friends who don't like church, they don't like religion, and they're not even sure they believe that God is there and that Jesus is real and was part of God. But what they do is that they've read history and they believe that the way that the man Jesus lived on the earth was such a different way, and it was such a good way to live life, that they've decided they're going to try it. And as they've tried living the way Jesus talked about living, things like um, instead, of, uh, instead of hating people, finding ways to love them, in, 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 in every part of culture, um, Jesus would, would turn things on, on its ear. And what my friends who, are, are, who aren't Christians, who didn't grow up that way, are starting to realize is turning culture on its ear is a really good idea. Flipping things around a little bit is a really good idea. And so they've started following Jesus, and the more they follow him, the more they realize there's there may be something to the whole God thing. Um, and it's a pretty cool thing. And the more I've spent time with people, the more I've realized that there's a group of Christian people who have grown up Christian, granddaddy, great-granddaddy, grandmama, great-grandmama, all the people all the way up down the line who stopped asking questions about God. At some point they thought maybe it would offend their parents if they asked questions. At some point they thought, if I get the right, if I get the answer and it's not the answer I hope for, would it crash everything else around me? And so there's a group of Christian people who became really religious. They became very, very staunch, very arrogant. They became right instead of loving. And those people continue to perpetuate themselves because they teach their kids not to ask questions about God, not to ask questions about the past, not to wonder if things could be better, if we can understand things better, if maybe we haven't understood them right in the past. So what, part of what I'm trying to get to in this sermon series is to ask some good questions. But more than that, I want you to ask questions. I want you to a- never leave this church with something I said in your heart, something I said on your brain, that you are going to put into action. And by the way, that's the only reason I say something, is so you can do something different with it. And never leave this place with an idea that I've given you without checking it out, without finding out more, without asking questions, without digging in it, because it's really dangerous to have faith without questions. And if you don't believe me, just go look through history. You can, you can pick one religious leader after another, one faith group after another, who 
started with a good cause, who had a good reason, but they quit asking questions, they quit questioning, they quit looking at the big picture, they quit getting perspective, and when they did that, they drifted into some pretty terrible places. Now, most of you aren't drifting into terrible places, but most of you, if you've stopped asking asking questions, if you feel like you have God figured out, which is a funny notion, isn't it? But sometimes we live like that. If you feel like you have finally put God in the box that he deserves to be in, that somehow you have figured out who God is and you know all the answers to all the questions about life, then you have entered a very dangerous place in your life and more importantly in your faith and in your soul. What God intends for you to do is to get better every day, to get closer every day, to learn something new about God every day. Those of you who have been doing this a long time, this is for you. God intends for you to change your mind about something. To look at something that you always thought and go, huh, boy, isn't that different than the way I grew up. I'm going to embrace it because I found it. Now, I, I have I've had the pr- privilege in my life of growing, go, being around a lot of older people. I, I really have. Um, in fact, there was a time in my life, dead serious about this, that I wanted to, to own a nursing home. I really did. I thought I would be a great nursing home owner because I just love to be around older people. And I spent so much of my time um, with older people when I first started in ministry. I just totally loved it. And then I got to the point where I really started making older people mad because I had new ideas. And I, had, and, and I didn't like Matlock. And, and I, didn't, I didn't like the... And, and so, so I got to a point where I, it, it, I was, it, it was changing a little bit. But I still have this affinity, especially for older Christians. For older people who grew up with granddaddy, great-granddaddy, grandmama, great-grandmama, all these generations of people who can come to a place in their life when they're 80 years old and they can go, wow, I learned something new. Wow, something changed in me today. I I learned that what I had thought before was wrong and I need to repent of it. I need to change my mind. I don't know very many older people like this, but when I find one, I just want to follow them everywhere they go. I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of an older person. I turn 40 next week, and that's starting to sound like nursing home to me. I know. I know. I got a little cough. I got a little tendonitis. I'm down in the back. I got to go to bed by 9. You know, I'm I'm getting there. You know? I know it. I know it. I knew that I'd get a reaction this morning. But the truth is, what what I'm hoping is that that if if you're an older Christian, during this sermon series, I'm hoping that God's tweaking you a little bit. I'm hoping that conversations in, that are going on in the world right now, and I'm not going to go there today. I might, but I'm going to try not to. <laughs> conversations about same-sex marriage are making you revisit again and think again. Because it's always good to think again. It's always good to revisit. It's always good to look again. It's always good to have an open mind to what God wants. As soon as you close your mind, you've closed your heart. And your heart is the very essence of your soul. And a closed soul is scary. That's a good way to say listen today. Because faith without questions is dangerous. Faith without questions is just flat arrogant. To feel like you know everything, to feel like you've got everything. I heard somebody talking this week about the Bible on CNN. I was watching, watching CNN just, you know, in the doctor's office or someplace. I can't remember where I was now. CNN was on. And I, I, every time I see 
the name Christian up on the screen and a subtitle, you know, and I think, oh no, here we go again. Because it's usually somebody that's not speaking on behalf of me and that's hurting the whole thing. And, and this person, of course, talked about how he always knows he's right. He can always know, and it's always good to know you're right. That's, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Never one question as he represented Jesus, the very personification of love. Never one comment about love. Never, never one thought, never one feeling that we love people, that Christians are intended to love people. It's right, I'm right, they're wrong, I'm right, they're wrong. That's all it is. And in that moment, that arrogance offends God. You just need to know that today. Faith without questions creates these walls in us. If you weren't here last week, I spent a lot of time with this. I even brought some little blocks to play with up here. Faith without questions creates these walls in our life. These walls that we start from the very beginning. And even as parents, we've fallen into this thing where we create foundations for our kids. And that's good. We should create a foundation in some ways. But we create foundations sometimes for our children and for the children that come behind us with these doctrinal questions that we don't know the answer to, but we make up something and we pretend we know the answer. And so we tell our kids, this is the answer. And then they get, they get older and older and they've built their faith on our opinions. And then once they get old enough that they go through their own struggles and they realize that your opinion is what they have had faith in God about, their wall starts to crumble. And when they start to find that thing, this is what, this is what happens when our, our Christian kids go to college and secular schools and they get into science class and somebody mentions the word evolution. And they get a little bit of doubt about creation and their entire wall comes down because they've been raised to say either God built all of it and evolution and Darwin is ridiculous or God didn't do any of it and so you choose one or the other. And they freak out and their walls fall down. This is how it happens. They grow up without question. The Bible has one scenario after another. The truth is if you type in questions in the Bible, you, you just might as well pack lunch. I mean, it's just there's everywhere. I mean, there's just questions all over the Bible. Some of them answered, some of them not answered. And that's the way God does it with our life. You know, when Jesus was here, he said that uh, if you want to be like, if, if you want to be like God, if you want to end up going to heaven, if you want to be in this um, understanding of how God does the world, you need to be like a child. And people went, what? Because we love kids, but that age, uh, that era, people didn't love kids. And this is what Jesus meant. Look at this. I just pulled a couple of these today. Here's some questions from kids. I know it's, it's their handwriting, so it's a little dark. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just, let, why don't you just keep the old ones? <laughs> why don't you just keep the ones you got now? That's just a, a really authentic question from a child. Really good question. Next one. Dear God, this is one of my favorite. Are you really invisible, or is that just a trick? <laughs> See, the, the great thing about a child is there's no walls yet. There's no fear that my question might warrant an answer that would tear down all of my beliefs. There's no fear in a child that when I ask a question of God, I might actually offend my grandma. I might actually offend somebody who taught me that or who believes differently than me. So God's, Jesus says, ask, come to me like a child. I'm hoping today you can do that a little bit. And just like Lucy in that last quote, one of the questions I want to tackle today, and this is going to be very, very simple. Next week it gets a little more complicated. We get a little deeper with our questions. But this is a question that I think many of us wrestle with, and I deal with it um, as a pastor on a regular basis with questions from you all and from my family, from my son. And that question is, where is God? 
Where is God? Now, you can, you can say that existentially. When I was a kid, I was, my dad tells this story all the time. He probably told you while I was gone sometime. But I was a kid, and I was sick, and I was, like, in the bathroom throwing up kind of sick. And my dad was with me, and I had thrown up, like, all night long. And I finally, he said, I looked over at him, and I was really young. I looked over, and I said, Dad, where is Jesus? You know, it was like this good question in the hardest times of life when you feel like you can't. Wouldn't it be great just to feel, just to touch, just to write something on the wall right there. Just do something. Feel something. Why not God? Where is God? Now, you've got to be careful how you talk to your kids about this. My son Reese and I spend a lot of time outdoors. We're moving to 40 acres of woods, and there's, m- there's not much room inside, so we spend a lot of time outside. <laughs> and when we're outside, especially at night, Reese will ask a lot of questions about God. And some of the ways that we have chose to answer questions about God as adults color the way that our kids think about God and when they grow up they pray to him that way and they think about him that way and it perpetuates it so I'm hoping today we can start talking about God differently to our children and it will change the way we think about God as well here's what Reese said to me just recently we're sitting out on the dock in this lake and we're looking up at the stars and he said dad does God live up there well don't we always say the man upstairs don't we always point up don't we always talk about him being up about heaven being up and about things being up and the truth is i was tired it's just i don't want to get into the existential part of god into that well you can feel him but you can't see him kind of a thing with reese so i basically said yeah yeah he's up because it's just easy and they said dad you know when you were talking about that the 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 universe is so big and then there's like lots of universes past that and then there's things that we can't even see and then you know that big telescope thing you said that they build and they look and as far as they can see there's still things and we think there might even be things past what they can see and more past that and double past that and he, yeah 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 isn't that cool god made all that and he goes yeah what god's far away dang yeah is that what i want to teach my kid god's far away reese He's past all of that stuff. So you know what? Live however you want. God's far away. And you know what? Do whatever you want. God's far away. And you know what? God can't help you because he's too far away. That's the way some of us grow up. Like God is that far away. So I want to ask the question today, and I might have a couple answers. Might leave you with more questions than I have answers today. The question is this. Where is God? Is he really up when we, when we pray? Do, do our prayers float? You know, these are the pictures that we've used. Where is God? Now, when the Bible talks about God, very first thing that the, the Bible talks about God is um, a poem. And it's, it's in Genesis. Um, it's, it's written by, by a, a Near Eastern poet. Um, and it is absolutely a poem. It is in the book of Genesis. It, you've heard it before. It is Genesis 1 is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Don't read that like a commentary, please. Don't read this like a newspaper, because that's not what it was. This is poetry, and it's been translated into English from an ancient um, Hebrew language that really is a, a Aramaic kind of a, a, a combination, and it is old, and it is beautiful. And if you miss that part of it, you'll miss the intent, because the, the writer, the, the poet, starts this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless was empty it was just kind of nothing and as he talks about that he says that that god hovered over the waters 
When he created the water and he started creating the earth, God just hovered. And the sense of this poet is that God is the air that you breathe. That God is where you are. So very real, very sincere today. I want to just pause. This is going to feel weird for some of you. But I'm going to pause. And we can't, since we can't see this thing that hovers in our life, since we can't see it, since we can't touch it, I want to today pretend it's this candle right here. Can you see the glow of the candle? One of these two candles. And just give a moment to think about the fact that God is not somewhere above the universe. That there is not a place in the clouds where a man with a big staff and a big beard and a long robe sits waiting for you to do something wrong. But the Creator lives here. And not, not at this church. You don't have to come here to visit him. He, he hovers. I love this phrase. He hovers over your life. He hovers in and among. So that means the junk that you go through when you pay bills and you owe $1,647 worth of bills and your paycheck was 1104 He's there hovering. Wants to be a part of that decision. When, when, when things are great and the baby's born, ten fingers and ten toes, you don't have to stop in a room and somehow find the creator of the universe way, way up above everything to thank him for ten fingers and ten toes. He already knows. He's watching it. He's there. He's with you. If, if, if we could get this with a candle, if we can get this with whatever you can, if you've got kids at home right now, a candle's a great way to do this. Because there's something about a cam candle that's just mesmerizing, isn't it? Don't look at it too long. You'll fall asleep. Watch it. There's something about a candle that's mesmerizing. It jumps, it moves, that wind catches it, it burns a little bit, it does some other things. Some of you are getting sleepy already, so just wake it up. But if, as you talk about God, don't talk about God being way up there somewhere. Stop using the phrase man upstairs. It's scary, for one thing. There's, there's upstairs at our house, and Reese is always looking up. You know. And say things like, what is that thunder? Oh, God's bowling. What? Sounds cute. The truth is, God, God has an ache. Did you know this? He's got an ache that ibuprofen, that Tylenol won't fix. He's got an ache in the deepest part. You know, I, I, I'm working on flooring, and I was putting laminate in. I've got one of those blocks that you hit the laminate with, you know, and I got tired, and I, man, just smacked the laminate, and I didn't hit the block. I hit my thumb, and I hit my thumb. I mean, it... And, I, I mean, it, it felt like the cartoons used to do, you know, when the, the blood goes bloom, bloom, you know, my thumb, it felt like it was this big, and it was just bloom, bloom, bloom. The truth is, I, as I was writing this sermon and I wrote the word God's ache, I thought of that thumb and how I could feel with every heartbeat it hurt. Since, since the fall of man, since sin entered the world, since there was a time where God had to be hurt by brokenness in the world, there is a throbbing pain in God to be where you are. For you to not only accept his presence, but for you to live like it matters. The Bible says that Adam, the first man, walked with God. I, I don't for a second believe that 
God had big shoes and footprints and walked through the garden with God. I believe that God and Adam had such a sense of relationship that, God, that Adam could actually feel the candle. He could actually feel the hover. He could feel the presence of God in his life. And here's the thing. I believe you could. If you quiet your life, I believe you can too. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Israel walked with God. Abraham walked with God. Jacob walked with God. All these things in the Bible talk about these people walking with God. And, and the original language isn't this thought that they physically stepped with God, but that they lived as though he was with them, literally. You know how when we, we pray for each other, we do this a lot. We say, God, would you be with so-and-so? It, it, while they go through their, their cancer treatment, would you be with them? You know what that says to our kids? You know what that says to our own hearts? You're not with them right now. But when they're going through this hard time, would you swoop down and be with them? Do you see what our semantics do? Do you see what our language does to our hearts and to our brains about God? We say, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand too. I have prayed, God, be with them. I, I almost picture God leaning over the railing of heaven going, see what I just did? Leaning over the railing of heaven. This is what we do. But I picture God looking at us going, I'm already here. God, be with me. Be with who? I'm here. You know how annoying that would be if you said that to your wife when she's in the car with you? Honey, be with me. Would you be with me? What? I'm right here. So here's the prayer. If you pray this a lot, write this down, will you? Because you're going to slip up because this is human nature. But start to change your language a little bit. Say this. Say, God, help so-and-so feel your presence like never before. In that moment when they're getting their chemo, don't be with them. You're already with them. Make them feel the with. Make them feel the hover. And when they do, you know what that leads to, right? That's what you mean when you say, God, be with them. You mean let them feel it and let them see it. Let them physically understand that they're not alone and that the creator of the universe wants to hover over their cancer treatment at that moment. You see the difference in the power there. That's how we talk. God wants to be where you are. In fact, the book of Revelation, if, if anybody ever asks you about this, and it's amazing. If you ever want a Bible study to go really well at a church, just tell people that you're studying Revelation. And man, the whole place shows up. Because nobody really understands it. I don't care who wrote about it. Nobody understands what's going on here. God didn't intend for us to understand Revelation. But here's the point of Revelation. Things have been broken from the beginning of time, and in the end, God's going to fix them. That's really the message. And so to me, the most valuable part of Revelation is, is that God wants us to, to bring heaven to earth. If you want to know where heaven is and where God lives and where God will be one day, heaven is earth. Heaven will be, in Revelation, heaven, heaven will be here. This is where we will spend eternity. There isn't a place in the clouds where God floats and plays harps and waits for you. According to Revelation, heaven is coming to earth. So the way we take care of the earth isn't about driving a Prius, keeping your carbon footprint down. It's about taking care of something that God's going to have for eternity. The way we take care of things, the way we treat the earth, the way that we love what's here. God says, in fact, Jesus says, pray, pray this way when you pray. God, your kingdom come on earth like it is where you are right now, because there's a place where you are that's coming to earth. Let your kingdom come here. That's what's going to happen one day. And God says this now 
as he paints this picture of the way things are going to be, now the dwelling of God is with humans, and that with is not that same hover thing. Now it's a physical, tangible way that we're with God, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and will be their God. It's so funny. Reese has a little friend whose family is kind of wavering with God. He's not real sure. And I heard him talking in the back seat a few weeks ago. They were both exhausted. And the little guy said, hey, do you guys go to church? Because his family doesn't go to church very much. And Reese just kind of leaned. He was so tired. He said, yeah, we're God people. <laughs> Man. My seven-year-old knows we're God people. And not only are we God people, we're God's people. You know what it takes to be God's people? If you ever wanted to be God's people, you know what it takes to be God's people? Not being good. See, Reese is my people. Man, that little dude running around here is my shadow this morning. That's my people. Not because he's good. <laughs> sometimes he is and sometimes he isn't. He's not my people because he's good. He's not my people because he's got my blood, although he does. He's my people because I hover wherever he is. Wherever he is, I will go through doors to protect him. Wherever he is, there is nothing that will keep me from him. In fact, the New Testament says it this way, nothing, neither height nor depth, n- n- nothing, neither angel nor demon, nothing will separate you from the grace of God. Nothing will separate you from the hover of God, from that physical, tangible, life-giving thing that brings you a different kind of way of life. Nothing can separate you from that. Yes, I'm sure, nothing. Whatever you just came to your brain that says, yeah, but nothing, yeah, but nothing can separate you from the hover of your Heavenly Father. Except for your brain, your own heart. When you feel like He's a long way away, when you live like He's a long way away, you can separate yourself. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can, will, will push God away from you except for you. If you've been doing that, choose it. Choose different today. There are some physical, tangible things. Many of you know that I struggle with faith. Um, something that uh, I've struggled with my whole life. I pray about this all the time. I see people and I hear people. I was flipping through channels the other day and I saw the 700 Club. I didn't know it still existed. It should be like the 900 Club by now at least, you know. And same people, same people are on it. And they're tired and like, we're going to commercial now. You know, and I, I don't, I, I never really watched it, but I saw, I've seen Pat Robertson since I was a little tiny kid. And I flipped through that channel and I, I had this sense um, that, that what they were trying to do at the time and what they've been doing for 50 years on that show or 150 years is give people a sense that there is real, tangible evidence for God in your life. And it's not my thing. 700 Club isn't my thing. But I love them for that. I love that there are people who are desperate sitting on their couch going, just give me some evidence that God is real. And, and, and honestly, they, they, they tell stories and they try to bring this sense that God is real in your life. And I love that about that. Today, there are some seriously physical, evidential things. Because of my faith struggle in my life, I am honestly always looking for evidence. I'm always looking for, uh, for tangible evidence of God. And the truth is, my dad told me this a long time ago, 
There is science and there is faith, and they are hand in hand. They are not competing. These, these do not compete. And there will always be faith. There will never be a time where you read something on Google or you read something on the web or in the newspaper that says, science has found God. Now, there will all, there'll be lots of times like that because you can read it right now. Just type in science has found there is evidence for God. The truth is you can pretty much delete that because God has made it clear we're not ever going to prove the existence of the one who hovers in your life. He doesn't want it that way. He wants faith. There will always be faith. And when there's evidence in your life of him, it's him growing your faith. It's him giving you an opportunity to get deeper in your faith. The first one to me is reassurance. Deuteronomy says this. God says to to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Some of my friends who are going through junk in their life right now, I'd say this to you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is wherever you go. He hovers in your life. Now, the way we say this in our vernacular, be strong and courageous, it, it's two words at my workplace. And my son, Reese, and I have been sharing this together, too. And it's these two words. Man up. Woman up. And I would say it even better than that. Human up. Some of us were just weak. And three weeks ago, I would have never dreamed I could carry the boxes and replace the flooring I've done the last three weeks. I was sitting in my office at work, and I saw it coming, and I decided I was going to have to hire somebody, and I couldn't afford it. And my, my friend who works with me in the office said, you know what you really need? And I thought he was going to give me a phone number. I thought he was going to give me, you know what you really need, John? Like an epiphany. Yes, he's got somebody that can do this for you. You need to man up. He's like, do you know that our, our grandpas worked 60-hour weeks, 70-hour weeks, and then went home and fixed their barns, took care of their stuff, and you're whining about the floor you got to replace at the end of the day? Man up. When that happens, the good news is when you human up, woman up, man up, you, inf- you, you uh, call on the one who hovers in that moment. In, in that moment, it, it's like Reese helping me with boxes this week. Dad, can I get this box? Yeah, it weighs 150 pounds, buddy, and you weigh 64 pounds dripping wet. Try the box. And he goes to get the box, and all of a sudden he's grunting and groaning, and all of a sudden he lifts it. 150 pounds. 62-pound dude lifted the box. He thinks he's a superhero until he turns around and he sees he's not alone. Because when I see my boy struggling and wanting and trying and manning up, I'm going to step in. That's what the Father does for you. This is when reassurance happens. When you human up, when you man up, when you woman up, when you say, God, I got this. With your hovering spirit, not with you a thousand million bagillion miles away, but when, when I choose you right here and when I choose to man up or woman up or human up and you're with me, I can do anything. And you can reach and start to pull. And when you do, your heavenly father goes, oh, isn't that cute? Good work. Good work. Give it everything you got. Push hard. And then we often do what Reese does. Hey, Nana, I moved a 100-pound box all by myself. Hey, guys, I just got a new job. 
hey, I just bought a new house. And we don't, we don't look around to go, yeah, the one who hovers actually took care of that. Just let you hold on. When you choose this, don't think of this today as just a cute illustration. When you choose to do life like this, reassurance comes with it. You get this feeling that it's going to be okay, that you're strong, that you're worth the fight. Matthew 28 says this, Jesus, one of the very last things he says to his buddies is this, I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is this thing, and I will physically, tangibly be with you. If you quiet your life, I will be with you. I will hover in your life. Reassurance is evidence of God. Guidance is evidence of the physical presence, the real right here presence of God. Guidance. I I will pray to the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, the psalmist says, I have a terrible sleep problem in my life, and it kind of ebbs and flows. Those of you who sleep, have sleep problems know when somebody asks you are you sleeping well the answer is always never like you (laughs) i don't ever sleep like a real human if i sleep well i got good i got a good four and a half hours and it kind of went in and out and you know and i just have terrible sleep problems and the worst anxiety the worst depression the worst bad thoughts come when everyone else is asleep except for this dude and i'm not the only one many of you are shaking your heads and the psalmist had the same problem I praise the Lord who counsels me, even at night, even in the worst times, even when it seems unbearable. I I get this guidance. I get this moment of clarity. Now, those of you who are in the middle of something right now and you need some guidance in your life, the way this works is to shut up. God will not speak over your life. He's made it clear. He's speaks in a still, small voice. If you don't hear anything else I say today, this may be the one thing you take away. God speaks in a still, small voice. Not because he couldn't yell if he wanted to. He could wet your pants if he wanted to yell into your life. He could could make you so scared you wouldn't even know what to do and he could get your attention. But he chooses that you choose him. That means you turn down the rest of the stuff in your life so that you can hear him. When you do that, you begin to get the hover guidance. This understanding of what's next. If you're going through something big, if you're buying a house, if you're getting married, if you're, I don't know, man, if you're paying a bill, if you're drinking a glass of milk, whatever it is in your life, if you could live with this kind of guidance, it'll change your path. I'll say that again, and then I'll close. It'll change your path. The reason I say that so intently is that many of you in this room come from a pretty bad path. Your grandpa, grandma, your dad. And you blame them a lot. Well, I'm this way because my dad was this way. Or I just, I'm I'm living like this because that's the way I know how to live. And we start on this path. The way to get off of that path and on the path that you want to be is to calm your life tap into the one who hovers into your life and to to listen. The next evidence is joy. Psalm 1611, God, you've made me know the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And, And it happens. And it's not about good things. It's not about your life being right. It's not about winning the lottery. It's about in the midst of all of it, there being this undergirding of joy. Right now, my family moved from 2,000 square feet into about 520 square feet. Um, 
it feels like about 15 square feet right now. And we were all last night sitting in my bed because it's the flattest open space in the entire facility that we're in right now. And we were all laying in this, this bed, and I just had this overwhelming sense of joy. And you look around, and you're like, you're an idiot. Like, you got nothing. I, I, I had a business, and it, it, it really went bad, and it really hurt us financially, and we recently got bought out, and that was great, but we're still in this big hole. And rather than pay it off a little bit by a little bit, my wife and I decided, nope, we're going to jump in, and we're going to pay this thing off, and we're going to get it out of this. And so we have taken some really drastic measures. And we're sitting around, and I thought this was going to be a ridiculous sacrifice, and I thought it was going to be two years of hell, and I'm laying in the bed going, I couldn't be happier. That's stupid, isn't it? It's, it's ridiculous. No, here's what the Bible calls it. It's beyond understanding. It doesn't make sense to the world. See, with, with the gift of the one who hovers, when you quiet your life, you get a peace that isn't like the peace the world has. It's not the one based on what kind of car you drive, who you're dating. It's different. It's almost as if the one who created everything infused you with joy itself. Like, didn't give you the residual of joy, but the actual physical strong stuff gave you just a little shot at that moment. Joy is the evidence, and the last one is peace, and it comes real close to, to joy. Band, you guys can come up. Somebody might have to hit me over the head with something to shut me up in a minute. John chapter 16 says this. Take this with you today. Write it down. Go look it up online. Jesus says a whole bunch of stuff. I mean a whole bunch of stuff. Some of it people understand. Some of it people don't understand. Some of it leave people with more questions than answers. And that frustrates people. That frustrates people to have a big question and then walk away with more questions. <laughs> but God knows what it does to your faith. He knows how good it is for you. And this has happened over and over as people are following Jesus. He gives some answers and other times he gives non-answers. And these people are saying, what are you telling us? Why are you telling us this stuff? And Jesus says this. I love this piece of scripture. I have told you these things so that you may have peace in me. Not, not so that you may have peace when you think about me. So that, not, not so that you may have peace when you show up on Sunday mornings at church and you sing songs about me. No, it's so that you may have peace. I'm telling you all these things so that you may have peace in me because I am where you are at all times. No matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, I am hovering. And you can have peace in me. In the world, you'll have much trouble. Thanks. Good night. You know, if this was another religion, what Jesus would say, if he was just trying to gather followers, what he would say is, follow me and you'll never have another problem. Follow me and the bills go away. Follow me and you'll win the lottery by Tuesday. If that's what Jesus wanted was just followers, he'd have said this kind of stuff, but he didn't. He said, follow me and there will be trouble. In fact, some of you get your heads cut off before you leave this place. Not you guys, but that's what Jesus was saying. And it actually happened. Why would you follow a guy like that? Because the one who created you spoke through him and hovered in a moment. In this world you will have trouble. But take hope. Some of you need that today more than anything. The one who hovers has overcome all of it. 
Today I prayed for you like I do every week on the way here. My kids yapping in the back seat. My favorite way to pray. I pray that you would take hope. That you would find something new today. Those of you older Christians, wake up. It's hard to stay awake when I'm preaching. I go long. Those of you older Christians, we need you. This church needs you to change your mind when God wants you to change your mind. To lead us in the way we think. When the world asks us questions that we don't understand, we need you to lead us in how to respond. So would you tap in to the one who hovers today? Do you feel stuck in your faith today? You know God's big enough for all of your questions. God cares most today about being close to you. And he's where you are. So it's your choice right here, right now, today. I'm just going to give you a chance. Maybe this is the only time this will ever happen in your life. Maybe this is the first time you will actually feel the presence of God in your life. It won't be a touch on the shoulder or a massage. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? It's not that. It's usually one of those reassuring, reassuring things of peace or joy or just a moment of, it's going to be all right. I'm going to give you a chance for that today. W- what helps me, may not help you, but looking at one of those candles. I don't know why. Something about fire and remembering the presence of God. Would you sing this song today and just pray this to God? Not God be with me because he's going, I am. But God, help me feel you right now help me sense it and help it change who i am by the way if you do if you do really feel the presence of god it'll change today's the day i'm gonna be right down here front if you got any decision to make but this is just between you and god today the one who hovers not the one see if you can pray to him today not the one above all the stars the man upstairs the guy in heaven looking down not that guy the one who lives and wants you to live in him right here, right now. Would you stand with us and sing?